I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Little girls should be seen and not heard. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The mystic knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. And this is Tony. Welcome to the February 1980 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. This is quite a full episode with some pretty dynamic stuff. I've been looking forward to it. Joseph, I know you've been excited about it as well. Mm -hmm. But before we get into it, how about we just start with some music? Let's uh, let's go ahead and play some Iggy Pop from his album Soldier. This is Play It Safe. I don't believe in fairies anymore. Today I saw a very, very thing, but that's another song. You are too simple-minded. Let's play it safe. What do we have Tony is with us again. We yeah. this is this is a surprise. Uh, Tony Tony's <laughs> uh, role in the organization, so to speak, is is evolving fa- quickly. Um, Tony, so glad that you could join us. You are you are here because February of 1980 is a huge month for albums, and October of 2023 <laughs> is a very very busy month for rob yeah so we're, yeah. <laughs> we we actually split the load three ways uh, i i by the way really appreciate you being here tony thank you so much for your help no thanks rob i'm i'm uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here you know I, we've talked over and over about 1980 just being an incredible year for music and and the the fact that february has so many great albums in my opinion that were released and when I get to talk about them with both of you is just a great honor. Oh man. Oh, January was pretty good, mm-hmm. but I, I had some reservations about most of the albums, but this batch is, there's one clunker, as I mentioned last episode, but all the rest are range from oh. pretty darn good to mind blowing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. so excited about it. I've uh, I've got to I've got to agree. Although now now I'll say that there's that one clunker, okay? And everything else I liked, but there is mm-hmm. one album in that bunch that I liked it just, you know, so-so. Like I like it all right. It's just but and we'll mm-hmm. get to that of course. But everything yeah. else blew my mind. Yeah. 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 So good. So, so very, very good. 
Well, first things first, I got to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated, because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was created during a pretty unique period of time. Speaking of which, Professor Rob, what was going on in February 1980? So much was going on. Well, it's, you know, so much is always going on. What, what can I say? Well, let's start with number one U.S. songs at the time. Okay, February of 1980, the number one U.S. songs were Rock With You by Michael Jackson. Do That To Me One More Time by Captain and Tennille. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> uh Crazy Little Thing Called Love, one of my favorites by Queen. Um, some of the notable movies at the time, American Gigolo, Fatso, The Fog, which, by the way, was partially filmed in Mendocino, California, and Caligula. Uh, debuting on TV was the show Mystery, which, as far as I know, is still going. Um, some of the notable events that took place at the time, Studio 54, where they held their grand closing party on on its last night in business, uh, miracle miracle on ice, uh, U.S. hockey team beat the heavily favored Soviet Union at Lake Placid in one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history, and uh, Egypt and Israel exchange ambassadors for the first time. So that is your history lesson for today, kids. And. As far as being relevant to the subject matter on this podcast, what is significant about the movie American Gigolo? Tony, was, you know this. I was going to suggest it was Captain and Tennille, but okay. <laughs> You're going to go with, uh, I'm assuming, the, uh, the song by Blondie. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Call Me which will soon hit number one here in the United States, was um, on the soundtrack for American Gigolo. Absolutely. So we have got a, a ton of albums. Thank goodness we're splitting this up into two episodes because this, yeah. is, this is insane. Uh, so I'm really eager to just jump into it. But first things first, if you happen to be in the area of Austin, Texas uh, in November or December and are looking for a place to go to hear some great music, our friends Mock Lobster, the B-52's tribute band, are going to be playing... Um, a couple of shows. So if you're fortunate enough to be around there um, on the 26th of November, they are playing at the Far Out Lounge. And then December 10th, they are playing at Perishing Hall. So uh, if that's something that interests you, you probably want to go to their uh, website and to get more details. Let's Let's take a trip, you guys. <laughs> let's take a road trip huh a deep yeah. ddc road trip <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be fun anything else you guys want to touch base on before we jump into it no let's jump not for me let's go all right rob why don't, yeah. why don't you do the honors 
You got it. Well, let's go ahead and start by talking about Iggy Pop's album, Soldier. All right. This is Iggy's fourth album. It was recorded in in Wales uh, for Arista Records, and uh, the, the producer was Pat Moran. Now, this album peaked at 125 on uh, number 125 of Billboard charts. You know I like Iggy Pop. I love Iggy Pop. Um, and this album, when it came to my favorite Iggy Pop albums, r- rated kind of low for me. Uh, at least my top 10. I think it was like number 8. Um, but I got to say... I I listen to it and I listen to it. You know, there are parts of it that feel disjointed, but man, I have come to like this album so much. <laughs> so I may have to go back and look at my rankings again. Um, now he's got quite a group helping him out on this album. Uh, so Glenn Matlock of the Sex Pistols wrote and co-wrote for the songs. Uh, Ivan Crawl from the Patti Smith group is involved. Uh, Barry Andrews, who's formerly of XTC, was involved, and not to mention David Bowie and the band's Simple Minds, who provided backup vocals. So this is an album full of a lot of interesting stuff. And for me, I looked at it and kind of started to, to see into Iggy Pop's mind. But before we go any further, uh, we just listened to Play It Safe. and that I, I, I wouldn't, well, I, I don't know that I'd say it's my favorite song on the album because I believe that my favorite song on the album is, is, is one that's a little harsher than that, Dog Food. But this, it was a cool song. And this is actually the track where David Bowie and Simple Minds uh, contributed their, uh, their harmonies and their backup background vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently when recording it, uh, Bowie... He uh, went into an adjoining studio and Simple Minds was recording and he asked them to, uh, if they'd join in. And really, he just gave them a lot of beer and they were like, yeah, we'll do it for beer. No problem. <laughs> well, f- first of all, there there was a universal law. I think it was, it yes. was one of those natural okay. laws that you don't say no to David Bowie, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Who has right. ever said no to David Bowie? Well, I've never said yes to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, there's something in this song that I I really dig. So... There's uh, the the Simple Minds refrain is, I want to be a criminal, play it safe. And that comes right after Iggy Pop's verse of, you're too simple-minded, which before I, when I first heard this song, I didn't realize that simple, that was Simple Minds. And so going back to Iggy's, Iggy's, you know, his verse, it's just kind of, kind of funny and kind of cool to me. Yeah, that's funny. Now, Rob, I'm going to tell you really quick in our special trivia episode that we've got coming up, there is actually somebody in February that said no to David Bowie, and that's one of my trivia questions. This album is what this is, is what fifth album His fourth His, album. Fifth, Fourth, fourth solo release, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, of course, talked about this album when we did our deep dive on Iggy right. Pop back in season one. And at that time, we listened to really my two favorite songs on the album, which are um, Knocking Them Down in the City and yeah. Dog Food. Both great songs, yeah. 
And for Iggy Pop, this is a pretty consistent album. Mm-hmm. You know, the the highs aren't quite as high as songs on a lot of his other albums, but there aren't any like super low points, I don't think. Um, I know his his previous album was a lot more erratic, uh, where this is like he's there he's got some restraint, you know, which maybe is not such a great thing for for Iggy Pop. I don't think people look uh, yeah. at Iggy Pop for like as a model of restraint. I think the idea here though is that it's a transitional period for Iggy Pop and mm. he really is trying to turn a new leaf. There's uh he became kind of against misogyny and and would speak out on others behalf against misogyny, which his songs, his his music before this were some of them were pretty misogynistic. So he he's like I said, he's going through a transition and he's becoming somebody new. And that view of Iggy Pop is kind of what started to make me like this album more. And I mm. went back and listened to it with that knowledge and and really got into it. What is what is his next album? Is his next album Zombie Birdhouse? Oh my god, I can't even remember. I believe it's Party. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. So but it's not going to be too long down the road before before he releases a zombie birdhouse, no, which is one of his wildest, most erratic, <laughs> freak out albums yeah. ever. Right? And yeah, this yeah, is yeah. this is very very different. This is kind of like for E Pop, the polar opposite, where mm-hmm. um, you know he, he sounds like a fairly like rational even keel kind of a guy (laughs) (laughs) well i think it's a good it's a good indicator that people go through some shit and and that affects the kind of art they turn out you know well then then you get zombie birdhouse so i'm sure there's a story behind that (laughs) yes (laughs) hey let's uh let's go ahead and listen to my pick off of this album um I picked a song called Mr. Dynamite. Yeah, that's another excellent song. Um, you know, it, <laughs> I think you mentioned how it gets more compelling towards the end of the song or more, you know, more engaging. But it's I think it starts out with some pretty interesting energy. Um, it doesn't sound like a downer. He's not moaning and groaning. He's yelling. But damn, man, the, the instrumentation in here, you got the horns, you got the bass line. This is a pretty it's a pretty, pretty cool song. Iggy Pop's albums are really the 
the producer's fingerprints are mm-hmm. really noticeable on oh, yeah. Iggy Pop's albums. He just, he really, I guess he really just like leaves a lot of it to the producer. And on this, just the instrumentation throughout the whole thing is really good. In fact, one of the highlights of the album for me is the last song on this album, which is an instrumental yeah. called um, Drop a Hook. Wow. that That's great. I, I usually am pretty indifferent about instrumentals, but that one cooks. I love that song. Yeah. Well, uh I don't I mean I don't know what else to say about it other than I am going to keep listening to this yeah to this album and I like I said I think it's gaining on my list of top 10 mm. Iggy Pop mm-hmm. albums. Mm-hmm. One last note um about what Iggy Pop is doing with his voice um you know you you can hear he's maturing and thinking more about his, how he uses his voice. There are some songs on here where he sounds like he's intentionally singing like in an Alice Cooper type style. Mm. And then other places where he sounds like he's leaning more towards like a Johnny Cash, which is kind of, kind of interesting. (laughs) That was something that kind of leaped out at me about the different things that he's doing with his voice on this more so than the um, albums prior to this. So uh, as far as whether or not this thing is a contender for me, let me, let me think about this. Um, I, it, it's a possibility, but again, this is a big month. 1980 is a big year. Um, I'm going to think about this. This is definitely a contender. So it's, it's going to be in my mind as far as like when we get ready to rank at the end of the year. Um, and I'm going to give it a possibility. Mm-hmm. So that's Iggy Pop's album Soldier. Um, that this is, I don't, I don't think Iggy Pop is ever going to be a, a real contender for my personal end of the year list. But, um, and I'm trying to remember has has an Iggy Pop? I don't think an Iggy Pop has yet made the no, final list. I don't think he? so. I don't think so. It seems unlikely that that this one is is going to break that streak, but you never know. Yeah. And, and yeah. Rob's always the big uh, Iggy Pop fan. I for me, I, I enjoy Iggy Pop, but I always like I'm more of putting him on a mixtape mm. than I am putting him on, yeah. you know, a, an album from straight to finish. I, I kind of refer to this album as being all 10 for me, like it's all one volume. And like if it's mixed in with something else, I, I, I think I would enjoy it a lot more. It's harder for me um to to listen to uh his album straight through even though i can totally appreciate what he's done and and his talent cool all right let's move on to young marble giants this is their one and only release called um colossal youth it was released on rough trade and um it is I mean, if there is a an album that we're discussing tonight that qualifies as a cult favorite, 
it's this album. So let's, well, actually, before we get into it, let's let's go ahead and listen to the first track so everybody can get a flavor of uh, what's going on on Colossal Youth. Uh, my pick off of this album is a song called Constantly Changing. Young Marble Giants were a Welsh band um, consisting of Alison uh, uh, Statton, Philip, and Stuart Moxham. This is a, a trio, very, very lean. You think about trios comparing this. They are like the opposite of the police, in the sense that the police were a trio, but when they, you know, the first couple of albums the police did, they played as a trio on the albums because they had to reproduce it all um, live. Really, really full sounding. This is the opposite of it, mm-hmm. of, of that. And I, and it's, it's obviously very intentional. So they are um, intentionally going for a very lean, a uh, stripped down sound. About half of these songs have some sort of minimal drum machine. A couple of the songs have some very bare percussion that almost sound like somebody's like just pounding their fist on a cardboard box. And then a lot of the songs don't have any percussion at all. The the songs aren't acoustic, so the bass is it's electric bass and electric guitar. But they're made to sound very acoustic-y. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an interesting sound. I mean, uh, were either of you familiar with this, with this no, album? No, not at all. Uh, this, no. Yeah, they were totally, totally out of left field to me. I'd, I'd never yeah. even heard of these guys. I had heard of them, and I have a vague recollection of uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, hearing a song or two of theirs and deciding it wasn't for me because mm. just the 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 headspace that I was in at the time. Uh, but I really I really like it now. Now this is this album is like the first step down the path that eventually is going to lead to nineties. Um, indie bands like um, Bell and Sebastian, yeah, right? right. Uh, t- way ahead of its time. Um, it, our, our buddy Will from, um, from This Is Modern Rock, he's been a guest a couple of times. We got an email from him not too long ago, and, and he was talking about 1980, and he specifically mentioned this album of one of his favorites from, from this period. Uh, this, is, this is a very influential um, album. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, the album you mentioned before that it was it felt like a cult, uh, you know, a cult album. It, I love their DIY vibe here. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. mean, I think it's killer. And I, 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 I gotta say, I'm not crazy and constantly changing. I'm not crazy about having to wait 46 seconds for the vocals to kick in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only, what, a two-plus-minute two, two plus minute song, if I remember yeah, right? Yeah. So you don't have a lot of time, Rob, to get to the vocals and get to the end of the song. 46 seconds is when, how long it takes the vocals to kick <laughs> in. Now, now again, I, I still dig it. The music, you know, whatever. The vocals, I, I really like that kind of understated kind mm -hmm. of almost disinterested sounding, mm -hmm. you know, delivery. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Well, I, her, her vocals are um, uh, going to prove to be very influential for um, bands later down the road. Her, her vocals are the least compelling thing about, mm -hmm. about this album for me yeah. personally. When I first, got into this album and was listening to it uh i was i'm so impressed with the uh guitar playing and bass playing and how tight the two parts are and how they're how they really play together um yeah. and i was just thinking oh man these two are so locked into each other and then I sat down, did my research, and discovered that they were brothers, and went, "Oh, okay, yeah, all yeah. right." <laughs> they have probably been playing together their entire yeah. lives. <laughs> Her vocals, as I mentioned, kind of the least compelling part of it for me. It's it's a choice. It's obviously a, a stylistic choice that she's making, a very bold yeah. one, um, you know. But a lot of a lot of these tracks, she just. She sounds like she's a little too close or not quite close enough to like some beat up old SM57 um, microphone <laughs> or something. Yeah. So it's just, I want, just because of my sensibilities, I want to hear her vocals produced a little bit better. I, I think she's got a fine voice. I am fine with the vocals not coming in mm -hmm. for the first half of the song because I'm really there for for the bass and the guitar. The bass player is so good. Yeah, so that's good. For sure. That's ah, for sure. awesome. It feels like there's a lot of thought into making this minimalist music. Mm -hmm. You know, the drum machine that you spoke of, uh, my understanding is they used like a recording of a drum machine. They didn't actually have a drum machine <laughs> in the studio. They used a recording of a drum machine. Sure. Uh, it's which is amazing to me. Yeah. And you think uh, all the things I learned about this album and how it was recorded, even though they tried for such a minimalist style, you know, I can I, I, I put comparisons to Eno, Kraftwerk and Roxy Music to some degree um, in in what this album sounds like. But, yeah, I was I was really impressed with this album, mm -hmm. even though it's very minimalist. I called this the salad to Iggy Pop's meat between the two albums oh, i feel go. like if we could put them both together i feel like that would just be a fantastic album for me perfect meal <laughs> well at one point kurt cobain cited this as one of his two all-time favorite bands i'm not surprised yeah 
And um, this album actually did hit number three on the UK independent albums charts. Yeah. yeah. So so it did get some attention um, at the time. It, as I mentioned, it was their only release. Yeah. I would love to have heard a follow up album. You know, an album that was um, maybe a little bit more produced. So the song that you picked, talk yeah. about the bass and the guitar. Um, in like playing off of each other to oh, yeah. perfection. This is this is stellar. Once again, love this song because of the bass and the guitar. The vocals are fine, but it's not what keeps me coming back to. I almost picked constantly changing for my song, and it was between that and including me out, which is the song I ultimately went with. And I'll tell you a little bit about that after. But let's go ahead and listen to it. Rearranging the atoms in my head Gets me thinking about the times I had with you Back in the 60s when life was free No need to worry about my cheesy Dying of boredom in a plastic home Pretty the pictures, went to the bone now, I kind of dig the vocals on this track, but I also like the kind of disinterest, disinterested, understated female vocals of the of the 90s, too. <laughs> so mm -hmm. this is uh, this is kind of <laughs> where it all stemmed from, apparently. The thing that I really did notice on this song, though, was the playback between it was like almost like a volley between the bass and the guitar like those mm -hmm. guys it's they don't give a damn who else is in the room right <laughs> i don't even think they hear the vocals they're playing for themselves and for each other <laughs> they might as well not even have a vocalist i would listen to them Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. do an instrumental album. They never had anything that would qualify as a hit, but yeah. um, over the years they have developed quite a following and um, the two most streamed Young Marble Giants songs on Spotify are Brand New Life and N-I-T-A, hmm. which each have had, had you know, two million plus streams. So, so there's definitely an audience for them out there, for sure. So that is Colossal Youth, the one and only release by Young Marble Giants. This, this album is growing on me. I've listened mm -hmm. to it um five well maybe like four and a half times i'm gonna keep coming back to it i i i think there is a chance a chance it might make my top 10 but it seems a little no. remote but there is no doubt in my mind that it is going to appear on on lists submitted yeah. to us um yeah, right I, I think that this is this is a highly revered uh very influential album um I can tell you it's it's not likely to make mine. I did enjoy it. Um but you know knowing with knowing what's coming up um you know I'd be surprised if the the last album we talked about uh, made it onto my list or the Iggy Pop album yeah made it onto my <laughs> list either. But so I I can just tell you right now it's not likely to make mine. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, this totally got on my radar. Uh, I really like this album, but uh, I, I for it to be on my submitted top 10 list, I don't know that it will make it, but it certainly is a strong contender for honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, I get to introduce one of my favorite artists of all time, who's Elvis Costello. So February 1980, uh, Elvis released his fourth studio album, uh, Get Happy. Uh, and this, to some degree, had some new sounds. Um, I think in a number of the albums you hear from 1980, there's a lot of incorporation of R&B into uh, the sound of punk uh, and post-punk. And uh, for our first song we're going to listen to, this is New Amsterdam. Somewhere I found myself down at the dark side Thinking about the old days of Liverpool and Rotherhide Transparent people live on the other side Living a life that is almost like suicide quieter uh, song on the album what's amazing to me with get happy is in the days of vinyl you know there's 20 songs on this album and for me picking any song on this album uh, I love them all to be honest with you uh, and New Amsterdam is one of the three hits in the UK uh, from this album T Tony I have a question so you're a big fan of this album and and I'll be honest, I listened to this album and liked it quite well. I, I liked it quite a bit myself. And I'm not generally an Elvis Costello fan. I know. Um, but is it safe to say now Elvis Costello, we talked about him when we talked about when we talked about Jim Carroll, is that he he was a poet and he's like really fine-tuned. Like he he has his, his art down pretty well. But a lot of the uh value of this album or some of the value about this album comes out of the producer right one of joseph's favorite guys <laughs> nick lowe one of my favorites nick yeah. lowe is a fantastic producer i've you've <laughs> never heard me say oh a negative word about nick lowe is a producer never come on once. guys no never and i never will he, he, he has produced some some of my very favorite albums that's for sure no he and he's he's a talented producer i gotta say just before we go any further, I, I just want to, uh, to make it clear. Um, this is Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This, this, uh, this is not an Elvis Costello album. This is an Elvis Costello and the Attractions album. The three hits off of this album were I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down, High Fidelity, and then the song that we just heard, A New Amsterdam. Uh, Rolling Stone thinks that this is the 11th best album of the 1980s, and Pitchfork calls it the 26th best album of the 1980s. I don't get it. I'm not a... <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of Elvis Costello, mm -hmm. and I like any Elvis Costello album, but compared to his other albums... I'm not a fan of this. Oh. Just about every time we've talked about an Elvis Costello album, 
up until now, you have used the word sleepy, which uh-huh. I've always thought was insane. No, but no. this is the first <laughs> album that I actually would not push back on you describing as as sleepy. Okay. This feels kind of sedated. Yeah. Um. He he felt. He, you know. He sounds like. He's banging these out really quickly. Mm-hmm. He's got his formula down, kind of writing very, very similar sounding songs and then relying on how they're produced to kind of make them distinct. Mm-hmm. Is it technically an al- a double album? I think it's technically. Was it released as two LPs? No, it's one LP. I've got the LP. It's on one. It's 10 songs on each side. Even if you removed the half of the songs that the weaker <laughs> half, this would still not be in my top 10 favorite Elvis Costello um, albums. Interesting. I love Elvis Costello primarily for his songwriting and it's, it, I don't find it engaging at all. Uh, obviously a lot of people, I mean, Rolling Stone and Pitchfork, Obviously yep. disagree with me, uh, but I do not get the appeal of this album. So so to go along, Joseph, with, with what you're saying, uh, New Amsterdam, you know, I, I'm who am I to, to tell anybody that they don't have a place on a punk and new wave post-punk podcast? But uh, <laughs> I listen to this and I'm like, why is Elvis on here? Because it's definitely, to me, it just feels like a kind of a soft pop song, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel punk or new wave at all. Um, but there was a song in this album that kind of woke me up and I was like, this song is pretty cool. And, and that might be why I have such a like for this album. Mm-hmm. So what is that song? Uh, well, I picked the, the song King Horse. That was King Horse, which is actually, that's one of my favorites too, Rob. Uh, I would agree with you. And uh, with the earlier comments, you know, I say it a little quiet. I would say, I I do think this is a really good album. I don't know that it's quite as great as Rolling Stone and Pitchfork uh, make it sound (laughs) for the 80s. Because I would say, well, I don't know. But I certainly think it's strong. And uh, I I, I do think it's with a sense of urgency, which might actually be some of the the reasons why I don't think is as strong as some of his other albums, because he seems to really he cranks out each song pretty quickly. And that's why we have 20 songs. And and that's what he was going for. I think originally, I think after Armed Forces, he had written other songs. He felt that they were kind of an Armed Forces part two. So he kind of scrapped all those songs and wrote these um, for this album and had, you know, kind of the, the uh, Stax label as his uh, inspiration uh, for the kind of music he wanted to make on this album. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I got to say, I really like the vocals on this, but I also really, again, like the instrumentation. The mm. I think I think the music itself is kind of what grabbed me to begin with. Uh, Elvis Costello and the Attractions and their album from February 80 called Get Happy. Um, if I was to predict for myself, I think it's going to make my top 10. I, I think it's a strong nice. album, maybe not as strong as some other albums that he's had, but I still I really like this album. And I'll be interested to hear from from both of you. Rob, what do you think? Um, yeah, it's Elvis Costello. And so it's probably not going to make my top 10. It it's I mean, I'm not even going to say probably it's not going to make my top 10. <laughs> there's there's so much uh, uh, that he's up against or that that Elvis and the attractions are up against. Let me say. Um, but I do like this album and, you know, um, I don't know. I'm coming around slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, you were the only one of us three that predicted that it would make the final top 10 at the end mm-hmm. of the season. Uh, and Tony, at that point, you actually said that you didn't think it would make your top 10, but yeah. it sounds like <laughs> upon uh, further listening to this album, you're warming up to it more. I, you know, I pulled out my vinyl copy of it and played it. And I don't know if it was just pulling out the record that made me really excited, but uh, I'll be honest. And, Playing it, I was like, oh, I uh, I don't know. I, I found new energy and life from listening to it uh, mm. again since the last time. So for me, I'm like, ah, this actually is really good. So we'll see where it goes. Right on. All right, let's move on to Lydia Lunch, her debut album released in February of 1980 is called Queen of Siam. I have got a ton of enthusiastic things to say about this album, but let's start off with the first cut. We're going to listen to a song called Atomic Bongos. Boy, this album is a kind of a revelation. I adore this album. It is, <laughs> it is, um, it makes me th- so. Lydia Lunch, you we, you know, in the past we've talked about bong water. So when mm-hmm. um, when Will joined us for the. Um, the the episodes where we talked about 87 88 releases i spent a whole bunch of time talking about bong water and and how much how into them i was at the time so lydia lunch is bong water spirit animal i mean <laughs> you can draw a line directly but the thing is even though at the time i was um 
really into bong water and very influenced by them musically. I always felt like the hit rate for bong water was really low. So even like my favorite bong water album, I'd say only like a third of the albums land for me. And then the, the other two thirds just don't work at all. Whereas on this album, they're all hits for me. Uh, this is such wild, um, challenging, adventuresome music that that is, I don't find off-putting at all. I mm -hmm. love this album. Now, the, the song that we just listened to is maybe my fourth or fifth favorite song on the album. But the reason why I picked it is because my very favorite songs are the ones that have a lot of like fucked up big band swing <laughs> to them. And my, my very favorite song is actually the song that you picked Rob, that we're going to listen to in a couple of minutes. Yeah. All of my favorite songs are the big bandy type songs off of this album. And I felt like for, for a good representation of the album, we should have this. The other song should be something that was different so that's why I picked Atomic um, Bongos, which is kind of the most punk, post-punky yeah. type song off of the album. I still really like it. I pretty much like all of the songs on these, this album. There are a couple of cover songs. I like those. Yeah. I mean, when she does a cover tune, she does it. <laughs> she does it in. She like, she skins it and turns it inside out and stuffs it with her own weird shit. Yep. And I love it so much. Yep. And um, so the, the big bandy type songs are, <clears throat> there are uh, four of them and uh, that sound comes from the Billy Ver Plank Orchestra. Um, and I wonder, I'm just, I'm really curious to hear her next albums mm -hmm. because I wonder how much I'm going to like her without that big band type feel uh, to it. So we'll see. But anyways, yeah. I've got a lot more to, to say about this album. It's all good. I adore this album and i'm going to throw it over to you rob and yeah. give you a chance to to talk about your experience with this by the way lydia lunch in the future does some really cool shit with the birthday party um oh that doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> yeah so so i didn't know about lydia lunch until you and i started working together at figurito's video back in the day mm. and the reason i found out about her then was because um, she had made some, some short films. She wrote some short films and I think maybe even directed them at any rate, Figueroa's video carried some weird shit and they had every single one of her movies. Um, <laughs> and I remember looking at these movie boxes going, this is really bizarre. I'm going to take it home with me. And, mm. uh, they were, they were, <laughs> they were movies made like between like, 
I don't know, 1984, 1985, and 1990 or 91 or so. And and they were the most bizarre thing I had ever seen. Mm. But that right there got me interested in her as a as a musical act. I I wanted because by that time I knew now that Lydia Lunch was also also had you know music background. So I wanted to hear her stuff. And I felt like her music was really a good soundtrack for her. Like that, those tracks were just, just as bizarre to me as the films, you know? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. now specifically atomic bongos, man, I love the bongos in the center of that song. (laughs) (laughs) I love the bongos, but also the grungy guitar and bass in that thing is, is this so, I don't know, it's cool. And then you have Lydia Lunch, who, as I've said before, is a, a fascinating performance artist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Well, the reason why I specifically wanted to uh, take the lead on this album was as we were preparing for the Jim Carroll um, episode, I I came across her name several times um, mm-hmm in conjunction with Jim Carroll, comparing the two. And I'm not quite sure why. I guess it's because they both, they both, before they were musicians, they were both poets and kind of like New York performers, um, spoken word performers and performance artists. And I guess that's what, so when I went into this album, I was expecting something more, in the lane of like mm-hmm. Jim Carroll or Patti Smith and boy, like lyrically they couldn't be more different. That's for right. Sure. I, I, yeah. They just, they've got a whole different thing going on. I almost picked one of those, one of those covers and, mm. and <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. The reason I didn't wasn't because I didn't think you'd like it because <laughs> Part of me was like, I bet Joseph even likes this. Mm-hmm. And it was spooky. But it's got yeah. it, it to me, it felt like it was almost too straightforward. You know? Um, I'm not sure that Lydia Lunch can do anything <laughs> straightforward. <laughs> I, I don't I think she's capable that. of it. <laughs> no, no, no. I know that. And you you were right when you said she adds her own and twists up a bunch of shit and throws that in there too. That's absolutely true. I wanted to listen to something a little different and I kind of fixated on it, and it also became my favorite song on the album, and that's Lady Scarface. Tumbling around a cigarette Smoked it to the ash and then lit up again Blowing smoke rings blind in the air If you're coming, baby, you're just too in arrears I'm too impatient and you're just too late. My attention span is just not that great. Then this young kind of guy walked right on by me. I couldn't have been more than 16. There's just nothing I can do. You gotta understand, you see. He had this walk, I mean, down pat and... No, he wasn't going in my direction, so I just kind of turned around. I, I had to. I was really possessed. I mean, I wasn't myself. I was so close. I you know, for me, 
Lydia Lunch is an, is an artist. I, I didn't know her music. I'd, I'd heard her, about her uh, in relationship to other artists, but had not actually heard her music until going through this exercise and listening to this album. And um, certainly it is a fascinating album to listen to. And, you know, things are intentional, even though they feel just bizarre in some cases, at least to me. Um, what's amazing to me on the several of the artists that we're listening to in 1980, they're only 19, 20 or 21 years old, and they're wow. making some of the best music that's out there. And even with Lydia Lunch, I mean, I just think uh, this is just a fascinating album. Uh, earlier, you picked Atomic Bongos. And what I was going to point out, and this is something knowing Rob as many years as I have, he might appreciate, but one of the uh, external songwriters on that song, Atomic Bongos, he also wrote the theme to the uh, TV show Dexter, Tales <laughs> from the Dark Side. And um, I, I guess he wrote a song or two for Bear in the Big Blue House. So the guy's got some <laughs> range to him. But uh, uh, certainly I, I enjoyed listening to it. Even if I can't say it'll be in my top 10, I can certainly say it was a fascinating album to listen to. And I wouldn't mind listening to it to several more times. Yeah, right on. So that is Lydia Lunch's debut album entitled A Queen of Siam. I do anticipate that this will be on my top 10, um, mm -hmm. possibly even my top five. Uh, I just, I'm, I, I've got many months to, to live with this album, but it is so good. She is never boring, completely unpredictable. Yeah. She, she delights in taking a genre tropes and like, turning them around on their ears and I love it. I just, I just don't know, you know, so I love it on the fifth listen, but am I going to love it on the 20th? I, I, I just don't know if it gets old at some point. So yeah. we, we will see, but what a great album, a February, yeah. February of 1980. What a fantastic month for music. Well, I am, also anticipating that it'll make my top 10. Um, I, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool mix of her performance art and that cool jazzy lounge, not, not loungy in the sense of, I don't know. It's not Richard cheese, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's more like a smoky bar with like mafia guys sitting across from you. That's, that's what it feels like. But no, I, I think it is well done and very creative, very creative. So I guess that leads into our next album. Um, and this is a, another one that actually came as a surprise to me. This is Random Holds, The View From Here, or AKA Etcetera Veal, uh, Etcetera Now it was released on Polydor, uh, the band originally consisted of David Ferguson on keyboards, David Rhodes doing guitar and vocals, Simon Ainley on guitars and vocals, Bill McCormick on bass, and David Leach on drums. Just a couple of guys and three Davids. Um, and uh, it, it, I don't know, interestingly enough, uh, this, this band really piqued my interest. Uh, I was really surprised by them. So they were attending a gig by, uh, excuse me, that 
I want to say two of the Davids <laughs> were uh, attending a gig by the band 801, which featured Phil Manzanera and uh, from Roxy Music and Brian Eno. Okay, so and it was Ferguson and Rhodes. They started putting the band, their band, into motion once they attend this 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 gig by 801. They didn't feel like 801 was very. They felt like they were mainstream, too mainstream. And they also felt like they weren't really kind of like they were underusing their own talent. Um, as we know, you know, Brian Eno, fascinating, fantastic talent as well as film engineer. So they uh, they said to each other, you know, we could do this, only we could do it better. So they went back and they created this band called. Uh, now, I'm, I'm hoping I say this right, but Manshinen. And. It was pretty experimental, kind of an electronic band. From there, they melded into Random Hold. Um, these guys would play gigs that they got, and while they were playing these gigs, they'd get noticed by some by some great record labels. In fact, there was a huge—I don't know—it was just a big scrap of, of record labels frenzying for them, and they finally uh, they they finally sat down and signed with Polydor. Um, this album was released as just as they were starting a long, a month long tour with Peter Gabriel. So that's some big news right there. You know, they're, they're kind of traveling with a big guy and, uh, it got really good reviews. But after that, Polydor announced that they were dropping the band and these, they survived a short time, uh, ultimately kind of floundered and and couldn't sustain but listening to this band i'm like you know why didn't somebody just swoop them up all right so let's go ahead and get into a song here i, I picked the tune central reservation driving alone clear um the title of this album this this album was released in two different versions so yeah. one of them was called the view from here and the other one was called um etceteraville and both of those releases had slightly different track listings mm -hmm. so that's that's where the two titles came come came in there were there were two different releases of fundamentally the same album um i'm no, not no, quite sure at this what <laughs> so they're considered the same album but they have two different track listings how does that make them the same album <laughs> well they 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 have mostly the same songs but uh -huh. they're just in different different, different order. order okay yeah 
And, yeah. and Ron, we've got a few albums that the UK release is slightly different from the US release oh, too. That's yeah, that's for right. sure. That's right. And, but but typically those have the same album titles. Yeah. yeah. Here you would True. you know at first glance you would think that they were two completely different albums. Oh yeah. But they are mostly the same, just jumbled up with a, with a few variations as far as swapping out songs. I share the general public's sort of lack of enthusiasm for it. Ah. I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like it, um, but it just sounds pretty generic to me. I like this type of music, but I feel like they, they're not doing much different, you know? I think that... Yeah, so I'm I'm not I'm not on the same page as you for 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 this album, but but it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I would kind of like to hear what they were kicking out originally before they before they became Random Hold. Mm. Um, you know, to kind of hear, especially if they're listening to like Brian Eno and uh, you know the guy from Roxy Music and going, we could do this but better. I kind of want to hear what they what they were doing, mm. but. Uh, I I was surprised at how much I like this album. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have actually heard uh, a song off of this album already. Last episode, we went out on the song called What Happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, Tony, where, where are you at with this album? So, uh, uh, Rob, I'm going to have to go with Joseph on this one. Um, <laughs> of the February releases, this was my least favorite. Oh, More, Whoa, uh, no! Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know what Joseph is going to say. Yeah, you're not going with but, Joseph anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pulling but, a flag on that on this call. I know you <laughs> That's are. That's crazy. I, I, <laughs> I, it's not... It's. I can't say any album this month. I would categorically say this is horrible. Don't like it. This isn't bad. This isn't. I and again, this is going to be offensive to Rob, but I consider it nice background music. <laughs> um, I I wouldn't mind playing in the background. I, I I the for me, it's certainly the guitar playing is is probably the part I enjoy the most. Uh-huh. So I had read a review about this album, which I think summarizes how I feel about it. If you love progressive rock, but you hate vocally neurotic new wave, you won't like this. If you love new wave, but hate long instrumentally intricate progressive rock, you won't like this either. And that's probably how I feel. I felt like it was like this world in between new wave and progressive rock. Not bad, but I think, um, what's his name? David Rhodes is a guitar player. To me, he's the standout yeah. in the random hold. Well, that's not that's not wrong. It's true. He's he's pretty standout with his his guitar. Yeah. Well, Tony, I I think you and I are pretty simpatico on this album down to uh, our favorite song. So this the song that you picked from this album is by far the most interesting one um, from from my point of view. So what did what did you pick? Yeah, so I went with uh, Etcetera-ville, which is the alternative title of the, the album. So that, that certainly was a song I thought was the most interesting. We'll take care of your interest. The hours and the days will look after your mind. So you know you're not crazed. Of course, we're on the level. We're riding you straight. If anything happens, you just 
So as I mentioned, uh, David Rhodes to me was really the standout in this group. And I pulled out my copy of one of my favorite albums of the 80s uh, by Peter Gabriel. So, so uh, he, uh, David Rhodes, is the guitar player for Peter Gabriel because they went on tour together. And if you read the uh, liner notes for the album, so you'll see the first person that is thanked and the additional ideas came for, on the album came from David Rhodes. Wow. So even though this album I may rank lower, I do want to say he... He comes back with a vengeance with one of my most favorite albums of the 80s. Well, now that's really interesting. So, Rob, you mentioned earlier that they toured uh-huh. with Peter Gabriel. That's probably how they met. Now, mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel in 1980 releases um, an album, which is one of my all-time favorite new wave yeah. albums. Uh, presumably... He is not on that because they are just meeting. But, but is he going to is he going to be become a staple on um, subsequent Peter Gabriel albums? Do we know? As of August 1980, he joins Peter Gabriel, and they're pretty much I think together. I don't know if they yeah. still are, but they certainly were for the next 20 years. Uh-huh. Well, and that that's the thing. They toured with Gabriel in I think it was 1980, and that's when they broke yeah. up. Um, yeah, they, of course, like I said, got together with a whole new band in 1982. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's really cool. That was Random Holds album, The View From Here or Etceteraville, depending on, uh, you know, what you're looking at. <laughs> and I can honestly say it's not going to make my list. You know, I like the album. Uh, I'm not at all offended by Tony's uh, uh, <laughs> feelings or Joseph's for that matter as part of the part of the job but uh but i i enjoyed it it's just not going to make my list yeah to be clear i like this music i just i find it not it's not very distinct right you know okay yeah i agree all right so uh next album we're going to talk about is the third album from squeeze argy bargy that was released this month uh it was their third studio album, their follow-up to Cool for Cats. And uh, all honesty on my side, just probably my favorite album of the month that was released. Um, just solid songwriting from Chris Difford. You know, they were coming from the popularity of Cool for Cats. Uh, songwriting to me is just just extraordinary. Um, it's their first album to actually make the U.S. charts. Uh, the album made the top 100 here in the U.S. It was their first album to chart here. And the record label was concerned about the title of the album being Argy Bargy because there's no uh, understanding of that here uh, in the United States. And and I forget which band member basically told them, we, you know, I don't give a shit. This is the name of the album. So nice. they went forward with that, and it's still... Uh, charted well uh, as a as their debut album, if you will, in the U.S. Uh, the first song we're going to play from this album is one of the hit singles, probably my favorite track on the album, Another Nail in My Heart.
the other big hit from this album was Pulling Muscles from the Shell, which a uh, very popular song. It's probably one of their most uh, well-known songs. With this album really came a lot of fame and fortune for the group. Uh, Glenn Tilbrook, uh, he was worried uh, when this album was released that they were getting too big for themselves, uh, that they were getting too popular. Jules Holland uh, left after this album. And so while the 80s would continue to be very good uh, for Squeeze until they broke up, uh, this to me is the highlight of their uh, career is this album. And from start to finish for me, it's a solid, solid album. Hmm. Well, Paste Magazine uh, calls Argie Bargy the 20th best new wave album of all time. Um, I am... I am a fan of Squeeze. Uh, I I really like their songwriting. Um, I prefer Cool to, Cool for Cats to this. Um, I feel like it is. Um, it really reminds me of the Elvis Costello album, in the sense that it feels like there's too many songs and. Um, it's interesting that you that you feel like uh, the songwriting is is really stellar because I feel like about half of the songs are have really distinct s songwriting to them, and then the mm -hmm. other half feel a little banged out once again. Um, oh, interesting. So I love the songs. So a lot of these songs on here I love, but. But all of this, the songs that I like are the more, more adventuresome um, from not stylistically so much as the structure of it. So there are a number. I, I feel like if they took out a third of the weakest songs, this would be a phenomenal album. But I don't find it as compelling as their previous album. No, I knew I liked this album, but re-listening it to again uh, this past uh, month or so, I just, I guess I was even more uh, blown away and impressed by it because I probably wouldn't have had it as high on my list. But going back through all these albums for the, the month of February, I, I just, uh, I, I will have to disagree with you on mm -hmm. that. I just mm -hmm. I feel like the lyrics... Because I'm a lyrics guy, so yeah. obviously that's why I'm a big Costello fan also. Yeah. But I really thought that these were solid, solid tracks. But I agree with you. There's a couple tracks I'm like, yeah, you could probably have strengthened those a little bit. But yeah. for the most part, uh, strong songs. Well, I don't I don't have any I've I don't remember having any objections to the lyrics. Um it's more like the 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 songwriting structure. So so there's a there's a fair amount that just kind of rely on some pop tropes that I don't find particularly compelling. So on that note, let's, let's um, uh, jump into my pick. Uh, I want to, I think probably the structurally the most interesting song off this album to me is um, a song called, I think I'm go-go.
like this song by the way joseph mm-hmm. um i think it's fantastically executed i love the tempo i love the drums um and it to me it really feels like there's a lot going on mm-hmm. um and it's like i said it's well executed it's well designed to the point where some of all that stuff that's happening is kind of subtle um but it, it all feels deliberate to me it's i i think it's well put well done well put together mm-hmm mm-hmm well, uh, I feel, I mean, I like, uh, I think Pulling Muscles from a Shell is an excellent pop song. Um, and I think I'm Go-Go is the last song on side one. But really, most of the the interesting um, stuff is on side two. I, mm-hmm. I feel like this album is a little lopsided. Uh, and side two is much more compelling than side one. Which I think we see in a couple of albums. I always feel like side one is really strong and then side two is kind of hit and miss. But I, this one, I do actually like both sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Squeeze's album from 1980, Archie Bargy. And uh, for those of us in the United States, Archie Bargy is basically a definition in the UK, a lively discussion or an argument or a dispute. Mm-hmm. And that's how the band described themselves uh, before this album came out. So, and again, I, for me, I, I strong chance it's going to be on my top 10 list. Um, I, I I think this one for me is, is one I really enjoy, but again, it's a lot of times comes down to the songwriting. And, uh, for me, this one is, I consider it very strong. How about you, Joseph? I, I feel like the word sleepy applies for this album too. Um, there, <laughs> there, there is a lot of um, stuff that that kind of bores me um, with oh. some with some really high high points. Um, I I think that the the songwriting team on Squeeze is stellar, uh, but I it half of these songs feel like they're they're just on cruise control. So that's uh, that's that's great. That's interesting. <laughs> Sleepy. I you know, I didn't mind the album at all. It's not going to make my top 10 um, for that reason. It's you know, I liked it. OK, um, I think that I, I think I'm go go was my favorite song and all the other songs I just felt kind of ho-hum about. Um, but. But, you know, there's there's probably somebody out there that'll like it, that'll put it on their list. 
I, I can see that. Uh, well, Tony for one, um, <laughs> which is totally valid. <laughs> I I will be astonished if it makes the the final top ten. I, I just I don't see it happening, but who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. We have run out of time. This is where we have to stop. We of course um, got. Uh, have a bunch of albums left to go. So we will release part two next week where we will um, cover the rest of them. Rob, what albums are we going to cover in part two of February, 1980? The Selectors, Too Much Pressure, Psychedelic Furs, The Psychedelic Furs, Martha and the Muffins with Metro Music, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, or OMD for most of us, uh, with their album, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, The Knacks, But the Little Girls Understand, Toya's Sheep Farming in Burnett, and the Ramones with End of the Century. Cool. I'm really excited, uh, but there are um, a couple of things that I want to touch base on really quickly before we um, sign off. So, Rob, when you and I talked about Human Sexual Response, their mm -hmm. album, and we were, t we were riffing on um, one of their songs where it was a pretty blatant reference to bestiality, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was making a uh, I was comparing it to a, a Devo song. Actually, at the time I couldn't remember what the name of the song was. It was the song Speed Racer, and I said that mm -hmm. Devo never did a song about bestiality. I was wrong. One of our listeners pointed out <laughs> there is indeed a very blatant bestiality song done by Devo. Now, I was kind of right. It was not, it was there was never a bestiality song released on any of their studio albums. But um there is a song that was released on Hardcore Devo Volume 2 which is a bunch of like outtakes and demos and B-sides and all of that called I Need a Chick. And I think, I think we can all guess where this is going. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so we will, that, that is actually going to be the song we'll go out on. Um, a course. little, little <laughs> Devo bestiality for uh, your, Easy listening pleasure. Um, and that actually brings up something, uh, something cool, a, kind of a new development. Uh, we, of course, have some of our listeners are listen to us on Spotify. I'd say maybe 10% of our listeners um, are on Spotify. So just recently, and this is something that was done automatically, and I, I didn't even notice it until a couple of uh, months ago. There is a way to comment um, on our episodes 
on Spotify. So when you when you go and you're nice. listening to an episode, there is a poll question, and it's just the uh, there's a default question. It's something that Spotify does automatically. I think the question is, what did you think of this episode? Now that I know that it's there, um, we do check that regularly. So if you uh, if you want to communicate to us. Um, and you listen to us on Spotify, feel free to do that. We do check it. Um, this comment that we that we got bringing this song to our attention was done through the, that Spotify poll question. Um, a while ago, I referenced one of our listeners um, um, expressed interest in us when we get to Billy Joel and uh, our new wave tourists <laughs> episode of uh, the yeah. the song borderline being a good candidate to feature uh, i incorrectly said that 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 listener sent us an email it was that was actually done through spotify comments as well nice now the nice. the the downside is that we can't respond so we can have a conversation back and forth through that. But if you have a comment that you want to get to us, um, feel free to do that. Pretty cool little, yeah. little thing. Um, it's cool. Anything else either of you want to cover before we sign off? No, not so much other than I've had a blast. It's been a good Same been here. Good. It was great. We, we still have some excellent albums to cover for February. So I'm, I'm really excited about next episode. Yeah. same. Okay. Tony, Rob, thank you so much. As always, it's been a genuine pleasure to sit here and, and listen and talk about um, all of this excellent music. Same here. Thanks you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. We'll see you. I need a tip.